Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. This is awesome. Awesome. Amen. Here, Pastor. Hallelujah. Give me this ooh, ah, ooh. <laughs> this is so awesome. We've known Tom since he was, you know, like this. And Wesley, did you just known since really since? Did we meet you before the wedding or not? I don't think we. I think it was for the wedding. So this is pretty special. We felt that it was important to have them come, both in worship and then Hudson back there, who's, I think he's in the body, out of the body. He's not sure. Only God knows. I see a reflection, so I'm not sure if it's a glory or if the light's just off your top of your head. But uh, we felt that it was important. We're always... If you notice when we come together in this setting, this is uh, very similar to our Sunday mornings. Our Sunday mornings are very interactive because the people participate. They're the tapestry. It's not the building. The people are the, tra- the tapestry of the living members of the body of Christ. And so the important part for me is, is to bridge the generations. I tried to encourage Wesley last night. God has brought what he desires to speak, and it must come through her. I asked her if she comes up and looks you in the eye. I said, please, make sure that they get what you have. I'm not sure if you're used to ministering that way, but it's so important. I want to draw from everything that God has in her because I don't have what she has. But I want what she has. Because for us to be complete, it's going to be a many-membered participation of the very presence of God that creates what He desires to do. And so when you listen to her words, let them be written upon your heart. It's not by chance as it has been for Wes, Wes, little Wes, and all the others that have come. It's the heart of the Father that's speaking his word because this is his appointed time. And what he speaks, he's going to fulfill. He's going to launch us out until that destiny, that word is fulfilled in our lives. Amen? So, I guess we've got to listen to Tom for the first five minutes. That's what I was told. So, I told him three and a half minutes, but that's okay. We got a ring back here, John, so I'm not sure where the rings, wing, wing, rings coming from. I'm not sure if it's the monitors or if it's the realm of the spirit. So I guess we're going to start with both of them standing up, and let's give them a hand, then Tom's going to take it from there. Hallelujah! Take deep breaths. Everything's okay. Mom's here, so don't worry about it. Just don't look. Just don't look at her, Tom. Just don't look at her. Okay. Amen. Well, um, funny story. Last time me, Hudson, and Wes ministered together was in Europe at a youth conference, and like. Half the place got filled with the Holy Spirit. Hudson was falling on the floor while he was ministering, just like he kind of is right now. <laughs> so hopefully he can say something if he has something. But uh, 
If not, yeah, you, we can just look at him. But uh, anyway, so, sac passe, bas moi means what's up, my people, in Creole. i got to practice. So, um, any, I didn't really want to talk about a whole lot. I just wanted to um, give glory to God because I'm, I'm just thankful to be here. I'm not only thankful for the invitation, but thankful because I'm actually here. And um, that's uh, just like I would love Matt's testimony last night because just like him, my mom, if it wasn't for her praying, I probably wouldn't be here. Or Deb and Lonnie and Kathy and all my, yeah, I wanted to give you guys some credit. So. But uh, exactly, so um, it was very fruitful and I just praise God for that and um, the journey I've been on. I was going to share a little bit of my testimony, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm going to right now. So, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, am I sure? She's telling me I should with, with her eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, wait a second. Yeah. Okay, I'll try and give, like, a quick one because I could go for, like, two hours. But um, so I grew up in the church here when I was like, I think we came when I was like seven, maybe 1990-ish. Um, so I grew up in the church, and um, when I was like, I gave my life to the Lord, and I actually just remembered like a couple months ago that I had gotten baptized in the Holy Spirit on the other side. I had like it finally clicked with me recently that I had like been uh, in a worship service over there, and I just like fell over. And it didn't click with me until, like, this year that I was like, oh, that's when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was like, ever my dad's like, he swallowed his tongue, he swallowed his tongue. I'm like, I don't think that's what happened. (laughs) He thought I was, yeah. Yes, exactly. So, um, I grew up in the church, part of youth group and everything. Um, And then when I became a teenager, like 15, 16, um, I was going to public school and really um, just kind of gave into the you know the, the desires of the flesh and um, what the world had to offer. I was curious and um, I went that way um, for I'm sure like a hundred different reasons or whatever. But I ended up going you know away and by the time I was 20, I think I was about out of the church. So 16 to 20, I like. Um, transitioned out. I got I joined up with a band when I was about that age. So and I was playing drums in church. So as soon as I got linked up with a band, I was like, oh, I don't have any reason to come back to church. So I'm out. So about 20, I left completely and did my own thing for um, a while, years, and um, it was just filled with uh, pleasures of you know the flesh and a lot of my. I know my mom's here, but I was—I had a lot of like sexual addictions, and I'm sure I think she knows that. But if you don't, surprise! <laughs> yeah, so a lot of a uh, lot of sexual stuff going on in my life, and I just like looking for um, approval from people, and just nonstop. Like, can I get it from you? Can I get it from you? And it was just nonstop every day, like trying to look for something new, like that'll satisfy me and that'll. Um, show me that someone like is like saying, "Cool, you're you're good enough." Um, so I did that for 
solid like 10 years, I think, from like 16 to 26. And then uh, I'd been living in the area. And again, this is a really like in a nutshell um, testimony. If you want more, I can tell you more personally. But um, I was living in the area. I had owned a condo like the next town over and I sold it. And my parents had an apartment above their garage. So I reluctantly moved in there because it was really cheap. And <laughs> yeah. So I moved in next to my parents when I was like tw about 25, I think, and um, I started popping in back to church, playing drums and stuff. And I remember having like, I remember ha talking to Kathy one time, and she's like, "The Lord's calling you back home, isn't He?" And I was like, eh, "Yeah, probably. I don't know." But I just went on, went on and on. I was living my own way and stuff, and partying and um, hanging out with ridiculously crazy women compared to this one. <laughs> so um, so I was doing that, and then I ended up moving to Manchester for work, and uh, I didn't have a ton of friends down there or anything. I think I was still coming back every once in a while, and uh, so it was Feast of Tabernacles, actually, 2010, so eight years ago. On It was at the end of October that year, so it was October 28th. Um, so the end of October 2010, I, uh, they had asked me if I would come back and just take the week off, be here for the feast, play on the worship team and stuff. And I was like, sure, yeah, I'll be the drummer. They'll see how awesome I am, obviously. And it was like all for me, all for me. Like, I'm just going to show them who I am, and I'm living for myself, and I don't need them. So it was totally like, even my motives to be here that week were like totally selfish. So um, I came, and... Um, I don't remember the first couple days, but I remember one night uh, Seth Omick was preaching and um, he gave a message on like longing and yearning for the Lord and just like needing him to satisfy. And for some reason that just like really clicked in me. And like all the years, over the years, I had like always known God was real and I was terrified to go to hell. And... Um, I even remember like times where I'd be like blacked out, drunk in my house and I was praying to him because I was scared I was going to have to go to the hospital and and stuff. So even in like my my filth and dirt, I was still like reaching out to him. So all the while, I'm sure everyone here was praying for me. So um so October 28th, uh 2010, um I was here and I was sitting like second row over there and I, uh, that word just like pierced my heart and I had to like make the biggest decision of my life to get over myself and come up and I'm thankful actually we have a there's a picture of me like kneeling on the ground here and I'm so thankful for that but um, so I gave my life back to the Lord in 2010 and uh, hit the ground kind of running and start plugged into the church I was close to down there and some people that were here were um, part of that church, so I got plugged in down there right away, and um, so it's it's been really awesome ever since. Um, plugged in the worship team, I quit my band, um, you know, and it was a long journey of like transformation and like years, you know, you you're you have that moment where you give your life back to the Lord and you are changed in that moment, but then there's like this transformation period and and growth and like everything so it's been years of just learning how to be satisfied in God and 
And uh, initially, I remember it was funny. I thought, like, oh, I'm a Christian now. Again, I'm going to get married right away because that's all God was waiting for. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'll probably be married within a year. And um, that was not true, obviously. And uh, so I had this, like, long, I, got, I moved in with this family, Dave and Becca. I lived with them for, like, four years, and it was, like, discipleship, like I was living with them, they were challenging me all the time, like it was amazing, so, um, and I loved what you said the other night about discipling people and and mentoring people, I think that's so important to, for adults of the church and like the older generation to really impart into the, the young people, and uh, we need that, we need that from all of you, Any anyone that's like, I've been seasoned in the Lord, and like young people like myself when I was in my early 20s and teens, like I needed, I just needed someone to speak into me and tell me how much I'm worth. And thankfully, um, on October 28, 2010, I realized that I was enough for God and I didn't need to prove myself to anyone, you know. So, um, so yeah, it's growth process and um, so... Fast forward to, I'll like insert a little about our story, I guess. So like fast forward to 2015, this girl right here um, came home because she was sick, like bedridden in a wheelchair for eight months, and uh, she had come home um, from the mission field, and I met her, and um, after, she's got this crazy story also of, her healing and everything, but she got healed. She came back to church, um, got plugged back into the local church. We started hanging out right away as friends, and um, really, it was friends, I swear. <laughs> so, yeah, so we started hanging out as friends, and um, like two years into it, I was like, I think she likes me, and I definitely like her, so, yeah. I know. So I, I ended up asking her out at the beginning of 2016 or 17, and uh, she told me no. She said yes, but then she changed her answer to no in the same conversation, which was very confusing for me. So I was like, emotional roller coaster right off the bat. I was like, this is not a good sign. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, we went through this process of like. Um, God doing a lot of stuff in our both our hearts, and um, five months later, she felt the Lord's release to start dating, and a few months later, we were engaged, and now we're married. Thank God. <laughs> so, so that's like a very, very, very shortened version of my my little testimony. So I'm very thankful to be here. I love you guys, and uh, I'm so excited for you to to hear this beautiful ball of fire preach and she's amazing so thankful so good I married the best man ever such a good guy oh I'm like feeling such weight in the spirit since worship too like there was a time in the beginning of my walk well I grew up in a Christian home but when I got baptized in the Spirit, I was in Brazil on a missions trip when I was 16 years old. And after that, started this whirlwind of activity that looked very weird to the average eye as the Lord would knock me over and I would be on the floor for hours 
trembling in his presence, crying, laughing, dancing like a wild woman. Um, when I think back to some of those times, it was a good few years of that, I had thought that that weird stuff was people faking it. I, I really had such a judgmental, I was very hypocritical and carried a religious spirit and I judged people harshly in my heart and with my words and in small conversation for what looked to me like such foolishness, distraction, whatever, and um, then God hit me. And I was humbled greatly before him because who are we to say what God can and can't do or what it should look like, what it shouldn't look like? He is God. We are very small. Our opinions don't matter. I feel like I'm about to get knocked over. It's been years since I've been messed like that in the Lord. Little and my brother, like he as well. We used to have these times together, and then it just stopped. You know, there's seasons. You're not like when it stops, it stops. You're not like, oh, I'm gonna fall over to like why. You know, the real thing is so satisfying. It's so cool when it happens, and I've I hardly see him like this anymore either. And like he said, last time I was in Europe, and there was an outpouring of the Spirit of God, the presence of God. When you think about the greatness of God, how can we stand in His presence? When we start to be filled with revelation of who He is, His majesty, His glory, we have got to let God out of the box and let Him do what He wants it to do. And whether that looks like just sitting or standing or dancing, that's why I loved, I loved the dance, the flags up here. So much freedom. What we see in church so much now is bondage, fear of man. I don't want to step out to do anything for fear of failure, for fear of other people judging me. And the fact is, it's because we judge people so harshly in our hearts that we know that the same judgment is coming back on us when we step out to do anything in freedom. So there needs to be a shift in our hearts where we stop unrighteous judgment against the body of Christ. We are part of that body. It is a global body. We get so small-minded, so small-focused, where we're looking at this small local... Hudson, if you have anything at any point, you just come up. But small local churches, and we got so fixated on how we do things and how God has spoken to us and what ministries that we have that we totally forget that we are only a very, very small part of a huge global expression called the church. The church is not a building, it's not a service that we go to on Sundays. And I know we know this, but it has to change us. We know it here, but it has to change the way that we view our brothers and sisters, other local communities in our own towns, in our own cities, in our own countries. To start to recognize if one part of the body is sick, we are all sick. If one part is hurting, we should hurt with them. But what happens instead? We point 
the finger in judgment, not only on individuals. And I'm the first. We're in, we're in a 21-day fast right now in our small, tiny, we have a five-person church. It's me, Tommy, and three other people because everyone else left right now. And we are there and we're fasting a fast of repentance where we're saying, God, open us up and show us the junk because we want to get rid of it. In order to enter the promised land, we need to be opened up and humbled before God so that when we get into the promised land, like in Deuteronomy 8, it says, so that we don't say, we gained this with our own hand. We did this in our own strength. What was so impressive about me, it's a life chapter for me. When I first joined uh, missions, the mission, yeah, the mission field, whatever, I was 18 years old. And I moved to New York City and I started working with addicts and homeless and just street people. Um, but my life verse, and I didn't even full, or life chapter really, I didn't even fully understand at the time, but I picked it because it sounded good. And I thought, this, you know what, this sounds like a good one to hold on to. And the Lord brought me back to it tonight. And I, I'm tempted to read the whole stinking chapter because as I was reading it, it was just, hit me again. So full. And this is what's power. This is what's power. Whoa, stuff popping out of my Bible. See, it's powerful. It did nothing. <gasps> oh, man. Jesus. Oh. We got to make room for Him to move, Him to speak, Him to do what He wants to do. Philippians 3. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence, even in the flesh, even if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, clarified it. Righteousness that was in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which I was also laid hold of in Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything in you have a different attitude, God, God, will reveal that also to you. Forgetting everything from the past. I loved, Sheila got up here at the very end last night and she talked about her mom going to see Jesus. And what did she say? It it brought me to tears. Karen was saying it brought her into travail. It is all about Jesus. Who cares? She said, who cares who gets to speak? Oh, it brings me to tears. Who cares? Who cares? If you have a microphone in your hand, who cares? It's about Jesus. It is all about Jesus, that he would be the focus, not one person, not one person, not one person, but Jesus. And I'm telling you from my generation, what we need are fathers and mothers who show us that it's all about Jesus. Because something that I've seen is name-dropping. Something that I've seen is the elevation of man. Something that I've seen in many nations all across the world is this Christian fame. And they're showing us this as an example to go after. And it may not be intentional. But that's why I'm here to say now what my generation needs is not another person who can say, I know so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Who cares? Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Does Jesus know you? The Bible says that we could do signs and wonders and miracles and come before him on that day and he would say, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't care if you can do the signs and the wonders and miracles. I could care less who you know that is big named in this world now. We honor people, yes. I honor people like Betty Green. Oh my gosh, what a woman of faith who has stood and known God for so many years. We honor her. But I know she would agree with me in that it says, who cares who Betty Green is? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? She would preach the same thing. When, when she got up here the other day, it was my first time hearing her. And she was a fi- you know, fiery woman. 
going back and forth, but the impression she made on me above anything she said that she loves Jesus. She loves him. It came out of her in everything that she said. We had disagreements this morning. We were having a conversation, and she said something, and I said, I disagree with you, and we went back and forth. But you know what? That's the kind of parent I want, that I can say, yeah, I don't agree with that, so explain more what you mean. This is what I believe. We should be able to do that. When you're a little kid in your home, no, you don't want your little kids talking back to you. That's an immature place. You tell them what to do, they do it. Once your child gets a little older, yeah, there better be dialogue. Otherwise, your kid is going to leave. And he's going to start listening to a bunch of other people and a bunch of other junk. When I say I want to know the real thing, I, I don't want the fluff. I want real deal Christianity. When you tell me something, for sure I'm going to question you on it if I don't know the scripture, if I don't know the background. Why not? i got to know Jesus. I'm not just going to take you at your word. You should never take me at my word. Do you know Jesus? Is he the author of what's being said? Is he the one that's saying it? You go to cultures all over the world. I lived in Haiti. I lived in Brazil. And what do you see? You see culture binding people, tradition binding people. Such a tragedy because they're not knowing Jesus. And you know in Haiti, in the church in Haiti, the ones that have brought that in is the Western church. We need to repent for bringing in a form of Christianity. It's a form of Christianity. Who cares how it's done? The Bible talks about principles. It talks about functions. What is the church? When the Bible says, make sure, do not forsake the fellowship of the saints, we say, go to church on Sunday or else. Is that what the Bible's saying? No. That's not what the Bible's saying. We interpret this, go to church on Sunday. So we've got to force everyone to go to church on Sunday. Well, I'm telling you, somebody like Tommy could go to church every Sunday and not know God, have no relationship with him. He was going out of his own selfish motives. How many of us for the same thing? The fellowship of the saints is something so much richer than a Sunday service. It has depth. It's rich. It's not one day a week for a couple of hours. That's not what it looks like in the New Testament church. It's not what it's going to look like in other cultures. If it looks that way, if we have a church service, that's great. That's how you fellowship. But we cannot hold people to a form that is legalism. And it must be broken because it's keeping people from knowing Jesus intimately and encountering his heart. Because his heart is not found in a form. His heart can't be bound, boxed up in a form. It is so much bigger than that. And it takes a place in our lives where we have to say, I'm forgetting everything. 
Paul had a way of life from the day he was born upward. What happened when he met Jesus? Everything changed. He didn't even remember the former. He said, I'm not remembering that junk. Why? Because it kept him puffed up, arrogant. It could have kept him highly exalted above everybody else. He labored, and he said, I'm not even perfect. I'm striving constantly toward this place of saying, I don't know, but I'm going after this gold, forgetting everything. Maybe traditions we were brought up in. Maybe the culture of our family, our church family, has filtered the way that we see Jesus. We need fresh manna daily. (laughs) We can't live on the revelation of yesterday of who Jesus is. He's so much bigger than. I don't want that, and I hope you don't want that, because if we don't really know him, we'd be satisfied. If we don't really know who he is, we'd say, yeah, this is enough. This is okay. I'm good with this, this flow, and I'm just going to go in this flow forever and hope to God that nothing changes because change makes me very uncomfortable. And when change comes, or if I get a greater, a new, fresh revelation of who Jesus is, that means I have to admit my revelation wasn't full before, or maybe I was completely wrong. Well, I hope as the people of God, we could be open to saying, maybe I'm wrong. Jesus, show me. I will repent. I want to know you. I don't want a form of you. I want demonstration of the Spirit and power in my life because I know you. And it's not about ministry. I want fathers and mothers who are showing me that it's not about a showy ministry. I want someone who's saying, when you clean the bathroom for the Lord... You get a reward in heaven. If you clean a bathroom and no one sees you for the rest of your life and you do it unto God, you are on the same playing field as Lou Engle, as Heidi Baker, as all these names that we know. But these are just names. None of those names would want anyone focused on them. They would stand here before you today and say, Oh, turn away from me. Hate me if you have to. Look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. We have got to stop elevating and putting people on these pedestals and look unto Jesus. Yes, we honor our brothers and sisters. Yes, we honor those who have stayed, stood fast. I, one, one person I honor so highly is my mom. My mom. She, we grew up in a family of 12 kids. I'm the 10th child. He's the 11th, and there's a baby 12. My dad left our family when the youngest was two. He had an affair with a woman in our church for two years, secretly, left, remarried the woman. My mom stood strong through that entire time. She held our family together. There were brothers on the streets. They went to gangs. They, started, they were addicted. I had sisters who got pregnant out of marriage. I had a brother who came out of the closet at the same time he's married. When you were speaking the other night, I was saying, Lord Isaiah, break it over Isaiah. Do the same thing for Isaiah. He's been married for ten, uh, over a decade now. 
But my mom, she held us. She showed us. She, uh, the first year, the first couple of years after my dad had left, she went to the church every, she put us all in bed, she went to the church and would pray till midnight. Every single night, sometimes past. Every single night. What did that show me? Did anyone know that about her? No. She was left alone in a home taking care of 12 children. Does she have a name like Heidi Baker? No. But to me, she is the most honorable woman because she persevered. She showed us her weakness, but yet she carried us through. What we need, I'm telling you today, what we need, what my generation needs are parents who show us that you're weak, that you don't have it all together. Like your whole testimony this morning, my life was, yeah, it was like a wrecking ball came in, and I was weak. I don't have it all together. I want real thing. I'm sorry. My generation is looking for the real thing. We are looking for the real thing because what we've seen so much is a fake form of Christianity. And what I'm weighty with tonight, so weighty with, is that each one of us have a place of repentance for walking in this facade of strong Christianity. It's each one of us, myself included, self-righteousness, pride, arrogance. I've been so undone during this fast because of my pride and arrogance. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? We come together at gatherings as believers. When you sit down at a table and you start talking, what are the first things you say? Oh, the best things about us. I've done this and gone here and done this. It's great to testify. I'm not trying to say, we testify. But where is it where Paul says, um, I boast in my weaknesses so that the grace of God would be displayed? Like, who the heck would use Paul? Oh, only God can take someone like Paul, turn him around, and use him for what he did. But he said, I boast in my weaknesses. Why do we got to boast in our weaknesses so that people won't put us on pedestals and think we're so awesome? No, we're a wreck. We're a wreck. I'm just as much a wreck as you're a wreck. And it's the grace of God. By the grace of God, which makes His grace so much sweeter. (laughs) It makes His grace so much sweeter. I loved when Betty was saying, she just kept saying, she would testify that she'd be like, but who am I? I'm nobody. I looked at my body. The only way I do this is by the Spirit. And not that we fix, that's her. That's, you know, that's her speaking and that's her relationship with God coming out. So don't just be like, oh, I've got to start saying all these phrases like Betty Green. That's what I'm talking about. Don't take a form. That's Betty Green and that's her with Jesus. You're you, and you're you with Jesus. 
personal. My Jesus, I love that. My Jesus. My Father. He's my Father. But we must make sure that He is the one getting the glory. And you as our parents spiritually, as the generation before us, I'm begging you. I am pleading with you to repent, to turn, and to display for us a Christianity that is authentic and real and focused on Jesus. Focused on Jesus. Jesus, we just fix our eyes right now on you. This is about you. When we see your face, we're undone. When we hear your voice, we're undone. He wants to bring us into this personal relationship. I remember when Tommy and I were dating, I had a lot of fears. Even entering into that relationship, I had fear because my dad had left our family for another woman. Right? So, and they were like the strong Christian parents, leaders in the church, and never, divorce is not even in our language type people. I was terrified of entering into a relationship and being devastated 20 years down the road by him leaving. He, obviously, we've talked about this a lot. But there were many times in our dating relationship things would trigger my fear. I, I remember a very specific car ride. Something triggered my fear, and I just started crying because I was so afraid. And he's like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I'm thinking, hold on. No, just give me a minute. And I close my eyes and I go, Jesus, in my head, Jesus, what is going on with me? Can you give me clarity on what's happening right now? Can you touch me? Can you heal me? And in a moment, that sweet voice of Jesus came into my head, my heart, and he began to speak to me. This is what's happening. This is what I want to do, and this is what I'm saying about you. And immediately, the tears completely dried up, and I was completely at peace again, and were able then to talk about it. That's what I'm talking about. Personal relationship, intimacy with Jesus, where it's His Word that gives you peace. Where you can all of a sudden, no matter where you are, the secret place is within you. The secret place is within you. I could be in a crowded room and all of a sudden I'm just in here in my secret place with the Lord. He's saying things to me that you guys have no idea and it's between me and Him and it's intimate. I know Him, He knows me and we're ever getting to know each other better. That conversation, Misty Edwards, a worship leader from IHOP, she said something so awesome to me because I'm a thinker and my mind is going 25 million miles a minute all the time, and I sit quiet a lot, but my mind is like crazy. And she said, you know that constant conversation that's in your head? God designed us to have this constant conversation in our head, except that we have it with ourselves, and he wants it to be with him. 
And it's so revolutionized. I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually a gift. And I can be in constant conversation with God. That's how I'm designed. And it's bringing me into this intimate place. And nobody else has to know about it. But for sure, the day I arrive in heaven, oh, man. Ha, ha, ha. And if you can't say that, if you have zero clue what I'm talking about, then you're missing the mark. You have a form of Christianity. And God wants to reach us now and say again, it is about knowing me. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. In the Amplified, it says, I count everything as lost compared to the possession. I love all this, so listen closely. Compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding Him more fully and clearly. The surpassing greatness of knowing Him. He wants us to know Him. He wants us in this constant conversation. There's been this testimony in my mind. I actually shared it with Jed and Margaret the other day because Tommy reminded me of it. And ever since then, it's been like on the forefront of my mind. But I was in Brazil and we were traveling to the northeast, eastern part of the country. And... um it took 48 hours in a bus to get there. We were going to one of the poorest parts. They call it the Africa of Brazil. And we get there, and there's about 100 of us that were going. It's where one of my spiritual fathers is this Brazilian leader. Um, and he grew up there in a family of 24, right? So he beat my family by double. <laughs> he grew up there in a family of 24, impoverished. Very, very poor, and God has used him. He's now a national leader in Brazil, going to the darkest places, the brothels. Oh, his love for the women who prostitute themselves. We would just go in and love these women. Anyway, he takes a trip every year to, to Paraíba, and we went. We get there, and every day we would go out to these far villages. We'd hop on the back of a pickup truck, and we'd travel another distance so one day my team was going four hours further. You know, it's like 100 plus degree weather. We're 20 of us on the back of this pickup truck with tons of equipment that we're bringing, medical supplies, all this sort of stuff. And I'm, we're just on our way and it's bumpy. It's not four hours because it's far. It's four hours because the road is like this the whole time, right? So we get there and... You know, who knew it? The whole town is in a town meeting. The town was about like 100 people, 200 people, not big. 50 people, I don't even know. I can't remember the name, number. But they were all in this town meeting in the central church. And so we're just waiting until they get out of their town meeting. And I'm standing, I'm thinking, like, I'm the type of purpose, like, I want a person that I'm like, I want to have purpose. 
where I'm going. And this seems like a waste of my time. Like, there's not even people here. I traveled from the United States. Now I'm living in Brazil. I take a 48-hour trip up to here. Now another four-hour trip to this village, and nobody's even here. I want to preach the gospel. I want to tell someone about Jesus. So I'm standing there, and I'm like, oh, Lord, what do you want, what do you want to do here? So I started to have my conversation with Jesus. What, what are you doing here? So then my spiritual father comes, and he says, come, he says to me in Portuguese, come here. There's no Brazilians here, right? No, I don't see any. He says, come here, let's go. So we take this walk, and we come to this place in the town where it was where everyone had to go to get water. And it's this deep, we had to climb down into it, and there's about a hole this big in the ground, and water's just bubbling up from it. So they take a cup, fill it up with water, and then fill the bucket. That's how they take showers, they wash their dishes, that's their drinking water, that's how they make food. Like... A five-gallon bucket, my goodness, and that took forever. So as we're looking at it, I'm just like, I'm not even moved by it. I'm not even moved with compassion, which then sickened me. You know, I'm standing there, and a woman comes up with her five-gallon bucket, and my, my, father, my dad, he gets down, and he starts putting the water in the bucket. And I'm just standing there, and I'm like, wow, this stinks. Like, I don't even feel bad for these people. I am so calloused. And I don't know how to sharpen myself. Like, I'm just callous to this. I don't have to live this way. Stinks to be you. Like, disgusting stuff, you know? So I'm standing there, and I'm like, oh, man. So then my father, he says, let's go bring this to her house for her. We get to her house, and they say, next door, this man, he's been sick. He hasn't been able to get out of bed for more than a year, something like that. So we walk into his house, and it's this little mud hut thing. We go into one room and there's a hammock there and he's all that's in there is the hammock. And he's laying in there. He's probably looks about 70 years old, skin and bones. Skin and bones. And we go up to him and my my spiritual dad, he starts talking to him and and he says he can't even talk. The guy can't even talk. And so they say, what's wrong with him and all this stuff. And so my dad, he starts praying. And I'm just standing again like a fly on the wall saying, okay, what's going on here? My dad begins to pray, and he's not saying, like, Jesus, heal this man, raise him up. He's not doing any prayer like that. Uh, my dad is a special man, super. He loves Jesus. He knows Jesus. Anyway, he goes and he puts his hand on the man, and in the softest voice, he says, Father, I'm asking you, allow this man to know you before you take him home. All he prays, allow this man to know you. Now that just shows me his heart. I love the signs and wonders. I've seen tons, and it's amazing. Isn't it awesome? But the forefront thing on his mind was knowing Jesus. Allow this man to know you. As soon as he says it, the man pipes up and says, I need to know Jesus. Tell me about him. Who is he? And and my dad goes, like, he was taken aback, like, oh, my gosh, this guy couldn't even talk. He starts to preach the gospel to him. He said, give me Jesus. Show me. How can I have Jesus? So then my dad prays, and the guy prays with him, and he gives his life to the Lord. And now I'm standing here bawling my eyes out, 
crying and crying. I didn't think I could even last the rest of the day. Why? The extravagant love of God sending us from 48 hours to another four hours for one man. One man that he would know Jesus. That is the love of God. That's the longing of God for each one of us. He has that type, and that's just a small bit. You think of Jesus coming to die for us. Well, it's a little hard for us to even get revelation of how great that act was. So for me, it was saying, wow, we've traveled this whole distance, spent thousands and thousands of dollars, and Hours and hours to get to this one man because Jesus loves him and said, I want this man to know me. He comes to know the Lord. We leave. We don't see him healed or anything. Years later, we see him and he's, I thought he was going to die. I thought he was going on to the Lord. Well, we come back and he is up and up and he's leading in the church and he's a, you know, the fiery evangelist around the community. One man. Why? The focus was not on anyone else in that moment. We were in the tiniest community in the Africa of Brazil. There were no TV screens. There was no video cameras. There was nobody recording us to try to show someplace else. It was before God alone for his glory that this man would know Jesus. And now a community can know Jesus because one man encountered him. This is the love of God. And if we don't know him, we won't be able to share him with anyone else. What we will be sharing is false religion. What we will be sharing is a form. That is not what we need. Hudson? I just know, even if he doesn't have anything in his mind, I just feel it. Like he's got something in his spirit. I begged the Lord for a father. I begged him. I sat in a closet in my in my bedroom begging begging the Lord to give me a dad. Because my dad had left. He was gone. Begging, please send somebody. And my mom would find me and she would pray with me, Lord, bring someone who would be a father to Hudson. Bring someone who would be a father. And every single new man that walked into my church, I said, this might be him. And it never was. It never was. Maybe it's this one. He looked at me. <laughs> Maybe he's interested in pouring his life into mine. Please, somebody. I have six sisters and my mom. My brothers are all out on the street. Please, somebody help me. God, please. And I fought through this. I fought and fought. and I wanted anybody pour into my life. Give me anything. This was the cry of my heart. And I remember sitting and people would come and prophesy and they'd say, oh, the Lord is going to raise somebody up to pour into your life. Never happened. 
And I, it was a burden in my heart. I wanted, I wanted a father so badly. I wanted somebody who would teach me how to throw a football or any masculine thing. I don't do that. I do musical theater. That's where I'm at. <laughs> oh, shut up. I decided to. Somebody came to uh, came to a service. I was in a service, and somebody came and shared a message about visualizing yourself in the throne room of the Lord. And I said, "Okay, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try." You know what? If, uh, this person came said that, and afterwards they came up to me and they said, "Listen, uh, I have a word for you. The Lord hasn't given you a father because He wants to be your father." I said, "That's cheap. <laughs> uh, he can't throw the ball back. Uh, you know, where's the hug?" Uh, he goes, no, this is what the Lord wants. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this whole visualization thing. And you know what the problem was? I'd close my eyes to visualize myself before the, before the Lord, before the throne room. And I was outside the walls, outside of a closed door with, with armor, rusty armor on, tired. And I was like, I, I need to prepare myself. I couldn't even get into the door because I was so worried about preparation. I had no clue how to do this. I had, my life was about what I could do to prove myself to my family, or prove myself to the people around me. And it took practice, and I did, began to do this. Now, uh, it was a, a season of life where I would um, go to a, a lake near our house, and I would sit with the Lord, and I would just talk, and I would try to sit there and visualize myself getting before Him. And I would close my eyes, and I did this for three months, I'd close my eyes, and I would sit there, and I would try to see myself before Him. And every single time, I was always beaten down and worn out and exhausted because it felt like I had been fighting for so long, and nothing was breaking it through. And yet, finally, I remember the first time when I when I was, was sitting there, I just would talk to God for, for, until I had nothing else to say. I told him everything, my homework assignments, things like errands I had to do. I just said, I'm going to tell it all to you. And after about a week, I had less to say, and so I started to be, get a little quiet, which is, was really good. Um, <laughs> and I remember the first time when I walked into the throne room. I closed my eyes, and I, had, I didn't have to worry about what I was wearing. I actually was, was fine, and I was able, able to walk in. And I remember getting halfway to the, this giant throne where God was sitting and just falling on the ground exhausted and so tired. I mean, God, I've been working so hard for you. Life is difficult. No, no one's here. No one's speaking into my life, please. And I was on the ground crying. And, and I'd get up and say, I, I, can't, I can't sit here forever. And I'd go and we continued to practice, and as I got closer, something began to change. I said, I began to change. My mind began to change. My eyes began to see something differently, and I started to, one, I, I, I started to learn how to forgive my father, which was huge. My dad came to me, actually, in, in that season and, and apologized to me for what he had done. And it was that that allowed me to finally get to the feet of, of the man that I love, my father in heaven. And I remember, it's just, you know, God, you know, sitting on this huge throne, and I'm the, the size of his toe, which I love being the small one. And I remember sitting awkwardly next to his toe, and that's where I, that's where I, that's where I began to to call my home. I, I would close my eyes, I would get to that place, and I'd sit beside the father's toe, and I would just enjoy the presence. And I remember sitting by that lake. I would get there and have nothing left. To, I had nothing to say. I would show up to have my conversation with God and I'd have nothing. 
It says in, when Abraham was talking to God about Sodom and Gomorrah, they're going back and forth. And it says this, it says, and then the Lord finished speaking and departed. And I said, wow, when was the last time I let the Lord finish the conversation? I always bring my stuff and then leave. Okay, I had to change that. I'm sitting next to him, and my, my heart, my attitude began to change. I started to see the Lord. I started, my heart began to soften again. Uh, all the pain and the hurt that I had had from even people who tried to mentor me and people who even tried to pour out just always left me more broken, more hurt than it had before. And I sat there with the Lord, and something strange happened. I was sitting next to his feet, and as I was sitting there, he reached down, and he picked me up by by my collar, and he picked me up and he put me in his pocket on his chest put me right in, plopped me in. And I sat and I could see myself in the Lord's pocket. And I remember sitting there going, what is, what, where am I? What is this place? I am so close to the Father's heart right now. And I remember opening my eyes and, and leaving because it was a little strange. And yet the next time when I went to the Lord again, he, he put me in his pocket. And he, he had me close to his heart. And I remember the first thing I could hear is I could hear his heartbeat. I could feel his, his warmth. I could hear his heartbeat. I was sitting outside in the cold, and yet I could feel his heat. I could he, hear his heartbeat, and I knew that I was very close. And I remember I could hear him having uh, conversations uh, with other people. And I knew that while he was having conversations with others, he was completely aware of me. That he was not ashamed or afraid to, to speak freely, knowing that I was in his pocket. Knowing that I, his son, could listen to his plans that he would have in other places, that I, his son, could actually rest there. Even if it had nothing to do with me, I could sit there and even hear all the things he was doing around the world, and, I, and he would let me in on the secret. I remember I was one of those things. I was walking with the Lord. I remember the Lord saying, Hudson, I'm going to do something in Detroit. I said, oh, do I go to Detroit? No. Okay. Well, do I pray for Detroit? Well, you can. Well, why are you telling me this? Because I want to. Because sometimes friends just tell each other things. You know, I just wanted to tell you this. I'm going to do something in Detroit. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Sweet. Great. Awesome. It was three months later, some guy showed up visiting New England, and he's like, yeah, I'm from Detroit. God's really just started to do something there a couple months ago. I was like, yeah, I know. He told me. It's pretty, pretty incredible. I'm glad that it got confirmed because I just, you know, you sit there and you wonder, Anyways, I was sitting in the Lord's pocket, and um, <laughs> this, is my, this is where I go now. This is where I go when I want to be with the Lord. I go right into his pocket. I sit right there. And as I sit there in the Lord's pocket, I remember starting to hear him hum, hear him hum a song. And I'm going, that's a song I wrote. God knows the song I wrote. <laughs> it break down. <laughs> God knows the song I wrote. He can share things in front of me. He can share things openly in front of me. He wants me close, and he is totally aware, and he considers me in every single thing that he does. In every single command, whether he's doing something in Detroit or anywhere else, he considers me. He knows me, and he's aware of me there, and he considers me in all things because one of the most broken places in my life was that I never felt considered by my father when he left and committed adultery and left our family. I didn't feel like he considered me his child when he made that decision. 
And when he moved further away, I feel like he didn't consider me in this. He, it seemed like his life was not a about considering me, but was just for himself. And that was a place of brokenness in my life. And yet here the Lord was, in everything he was doing, considering me. Knowing me, and, and, and knowing how, that I was there, and knowing that, that he, he actually wanted me to hear these things. He actually wanted me to be, just be part of even the conversation. And I have learned to, to become somebody that, that sits in the Lord's pocket. And to this day, people come, people come in and out of my life, and they pour in for a bit, and I, and I love it. It's amazing. And yet the Lord's always maintained that he holds the Father's seat in my life. And, but what Wesley was sharing, as she was sharing, this is, this is so burdening me, and I felt this for the room, as I felt it's hard to be a good father to the next generation when you didn't have one yourself. It's hard to pour that out when you didn't even know how to, how to be in that place. When you didn't know how to receive love from the Father, when you didn't know how to, how to, how to pour out and, and, and break away from those traditions and show your failures. How can you do it? How can you just hear a word about you're supposed to do it, and yet you're supposed to faithfully do it when you've never seen it modeled before. And I felt the Lord showed me the, the, the story of David and Absalom. And he said this, and he said, this is a word for this, for this, this group. This is a word for this genera- the older generation. He goes, you're a David generation, and many of you, 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 had, you had a throne and, and, you, and a, a calling, and you knew that there was something on your life, and you're doing it, and yet an Absalom came and he stole it from you. He ruined it. He, he took it away from you. And the Lord's saying that that season's ending. He's taking Absalom down. That there's a, a place where my generation was un, has been unable to even get to the throne. The second generation, the Solomon generation, is unable to even get to its rightful place because there's an imposter in that place. And that imposter is a religious spirit. That imposter is legalism. That imposter is, are those things that, that make me cringe. That, that when I hear people speak on that level, just I, I don't want anything to do with them. And here it is, it's my, my entire life, my, my cause has the Lord saying, Hudson, you know what, there isn't anyone. And so I'm just going to put you in my pocket. I'm going to put you in, your, in my pocket and I'm going to let you rest here. I'm going to let you sit here. I'm going to show you my heart in these places. I'm going to let you become aware of the way I am. And, and, and you're going to see the way I, hear the way I speak and you're going to learn how to speak. You're going to hear the way that I uh, instruct and you're going to know how to instruct and teach. You're going to feel my heartbeat and you're going to know how to have my heart for those people that are around you. And you're going to learn to impart that, but you're going to learn it from me. You're going to learn it from the Father, the Father. You're going to, you're going to embrace this. And I feel like the Lord is saying to, tonight, what's just been hitting my heart, just, I just kept, anytime I was closing my eyes, this whole thing, I've just been in the Lord's pocket. I was sitting in the, the dinner table, and I was like, and I'm being lifted up. <laughs> We're going in the pocket. <laughs> okay. That's, that's where I belong, I guess. This is something that, you know, this is, this is where I'm going to rest. This, the, the reality is, I, I, in, that, in that pocket, in that place, I have no strength. I have no ability to do anything. And that's my entire life. Let me tell you, I have no credits to my name. I left, I got out of high school and went right into the mission field. I, do, I did nothing for education. I just went around and, and, and joined ministries and whatever. I did nothing. And yet, 
over and over again, the Lord has pushed me into positions, that, uh, into places that I'm so uncomfortable to be in. And despite the lack of not having a father, despite the, the, those places, the Lord has been so faithful to continue to, to bring me into, the, into, these, into these, these positions and into these places that I really just don't belong in. And it's, it's rather funny. It's rather comical. I sit there and I'm going, somehow I became the pastor of a brethren church in Canada. Don't ask me how that happened. You know, you see me shaking over here one Sunday morning. This is like a, a church that 10 years ago had head coverings in the whole day. One Sunday I was talking about the joy of the Lord, and I was like, <laughs> they're all like, what's going on with our pastor? I'm like, it's okay, guys. It's going to be all right. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I like, don't even know what I'm saying. My mind is so jumbled right now. Here I go. I just I keep hearing this one thing. You, teach us to drink from Jesus. Teach us to drink from Jesus. People get burnt out because you're the people you're discipling are drinking from you. I don't want to be just going to you and then saying, how do I do this, 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 and this, and you always giving me the answer. I want you to say, pray about it. Go ask Jesus and let's talk about it, what you get from him. And then we dialogue around what was said. Is that scriptural? Is that good? Where would you find that? How did he speak that to you? It's teaching me to drink from Him so that I'm not constantly looking to people. Fathers and mothers are very important, but we get drained. I had many times in my life where I was exhausted, felt burnt out at 22 years old, but I felt so much value from people drinking from me it made me feel good. It made me feel like I had some spiritual wisdom or was somewhere or someone in life. But it drained me because I'm not supposed to be the source for anyone. Jesus is the source. He is never-ending source. So when someone comes to me and says, I am in depression, I have addiction, I'm not going to say, okay, I'm going to just do this for you and then that's going to break it. And Okay, let's go to the Lord. Come on, come with me. Let's do it together. Let's ask Him together. You have the same Spirit of God that I have. Teach us to drink from the source and yourselves drink from the source. And then if there's any place that you've allowed this attachment and allowed your disciples, your sons and daughters in the Lord to drink from you or to look to you for the answer, break it, change it, change the form of it and say, let's do this together. I'm going to teach you to know Him. I'm going to teach you how to get to know Him. Teach you to drink from Him. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. The the the. the oh, silly with cinema. Sure. <laughs> teach weakness, guys. 
Teach weakness. I've always seen every single person try to come and express what they're capable of doing. Teach weakness. I remember I was reading 2 Corinthians, and he's saying, he's saying, listen, it's in my weakness that he is strong. And I say, wait a minute. So I never have to be strong? So I don't, I don't have to be strong. Because he gets to be strong. Why would I ever try to be strong if he gets to be the strong one? If in my weakness he'll be strong, then why try to pursue strength? Why try to get to the place where I am capable of doing anything? I have this major issue. I have a, I, I, I create, I, I have a school in Canada that I have. And I have this problem where any time a student of mine has any issue, I try to fix it for them. Uh, they have a financial issue. It comes out of my pocket. I'm like, I, because you know what? First several years of ministry, I was like, I, I struggled. I had to learn how to depend on the Lord. I had to learn to drink from the Lord to actually receive his supplication, to receive his, to receive his strength in those moments. And I understood how difficult it was because I had nobody to model it for me. I had to get it right from the Lord. And I said, that's so difficult. So anytime anyone ever has a hard trial in front of them, I go, let me take care of it for you. That's a problem I have. Let me take care of it. Let me pay your bill. And rather than saying, you go to the Lord. Ask, why, ask, ask him for, to provide for it. I try to be the answer myself. And, and I've had a break out of that. There was a whole week a couple years ago. I was at the end of our first year of the school. I, the Lord laid me out in, the, in a prayer room for seven days. I was the first time I've ever been incapable of doing anything. I had... Friends have to shower me and put me on a toilet and, and bring me to meetings. And I, and I, I, laid, in, I laid in the prayer room on, on, in front of the cross the entire time. And I, I couldn't do anything. He totally stripped every strength that I had away. I couldn't lead worship. I couldn't speak. Nothing made sense. And, and in that place, in that place of, of learning to be completely weak, it, it, what I've recognized is that by, uh, by learning my weakness, by learning my incapability to do anything, that he gets to be the strong one. And I see, we see so much more of the glory of God manifested when we can actually surrender and be in that place. I don't have to be strong. I don't have to have the degree to be a pastor. I don't have to do... I, created, I didn't go to school and I created a school. I mean, I like... I don't know what I'm doing. I have no clue. And yet the Lord is so faithful to continue to do it. But it's this constant place where he's like, Hudson, stop trying. Because when you try, it fails. Stop trying to be strong. Your strength is nothing. Be weak. Be weak. Show these people what it looks like to be totally surrendered to the Lord. Hudson, I specifically raised you up that you, didn't have, like that you had to draw from me. Teach other people to draw from me. Don't step into that place and say, okay, the Lord taught me to draw from him, now you draw from me. No, because that just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not sustainable. It doesn't maintain itself. And I burned out after one year of trying to do a school. It was exhausting because I was, I was in the poorhouse. And it was like, no, you have to stop. You just have to ask them to go to the Lord. I am their father as well. I am their father as well. And I want to have that same... I want them in my pocket, Hudson. I've got plenty of pockets. Let me, let me teach them that as well. And be the one who speaks and, 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 and loves them through the challenge. Be the one that holds your hand through the challenge and says, you'll make it. It's okay. Don't worry. It's, yeah, your cell phone might have just got turned off. Yeah, this might have just happened. It's going to be all right. Just keep going to the Lord. He'll take care of it. Learn to be weak. Learn to be incapable because it's in your weakness that he is strong. Paul says that we are a broken vessels in which we are poured out from. We want to remain in this place of saying, I have none. 
nothing. I have nothing. We were in Holland. All I said that time, they were talking about when the glory of God poured out, the only thing I said was, love is patient. That was it. I quoted half a verse, and I had nothing. I have nothing. I, when I preach on Sunday mornings, I go, Lord, I have nothing again. So here we go. Let's hope this works. And yet regularly, I see the glory of God manifested. We see lives changed. And I sit down and I go, I can't take any credit for this. I have nothing. I can't do anything. It has to be him. When the, any glory tries to be put back to me, it's like, no, nope. <laughs> I have no training. I have nothing. There's no strategy I have. I don't have a strategy. Five-year plan, what's that? No, I <laughs> come before the Lord daily, and I say, God, keep me weak. God, keep me dependent on you. Keep me dependent on you. I want to be abiding in you. I want the vine. You know what? The, the, the reality is the fruit doesn't grow, a, a, a branch doesn't go out and say, produce apples. It sits there and just receives. And then it's time and it's season it produces apples. It doesn't strive to produce anything. It just is. It just remains in. And out of that, everything comes. It doesn't have to be strong. It doesn't have to have anything like that. It solely comes from the strength that comes to the vine. That branch can produce fruit. I don't have to say, produce Apples, produce oranges, whatever. Create something. I want to look good. No, I just receive. I just learn to drink deep. I just learn to drink deep. I have nothing. I must decrease, so you must increase. I am here. I want to be the poured out, like I want to be an open vessel that you can pour out through whenever. I don't want to have anything in my name that makes me seem like anything. In fact, please, wipe my name off of everything. I don't want it on places because, you know, it just it causes more trouble than good. Like, I, don't, I don't want a big head. <laughs> you know, the enemy always finds ways to get in and, and to, to make us think that for some reason having the godly platform means that we're doing something well or something right. No, I'm sorry. I've done nothing to get where I am, and I'm going to continue to do nothing to go where I'm going. I'm going to be in Him. I'm going to rest. I'm going to strive only to rest. I'm going to be in this place of, of receiving from El Shaddai. I'm just going to drink in and allow Him to pour His living water that I don't have to pay for. I don't, have to, I don't have to provide for. You know, we have something in us, and you see it in all culture where we are so bored, and we, are, we have this instinctive thing. We're looking for beauty. We want love. We want greatness. And so we search for these things in the world, and we, nothing ever satisfies. I was in a state of depression when I was up in Quebec. There's, the first time I ever it was really depressed, and I realized it when I was laying on, on a couch with a TV on, with a show on the TV, I had Facebook on my laptop, I had a book in my hand, and I had a, a game on my phone. And I said, I think I'm trying to distract myself from something. What is going on here? What's happening? And all of a sudden I had to literally shut these things out and go and search myself. What is going on? And I had to get before the Lord because I was searching to be satisfied and filled by anything other because that seemed like the only thing that we have. And with, with, this, with our culture today, it's so easy to go after. You read a good book, you, you, you watch some great movies, which are all amazing, and it leaves you longing, it leaves you wanting more. That's because we go, we're going after sources that really don't provide anything. So and we, and we try to make ourselves great, and yet 
in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they were abiding in Him. They were there. And those things were constantly satisfied and fulfilled. I want to be in that place today. And I can be because I'm in Christ. I can be because I am a part of His body. Ephesians 1 says that He marked me off within Himself. He goes, Hudson, that's Him. And I'm the body of Christ. Fully intertwined with who He is. And I can fully receive from Him and fully be satisfied by who He is. Completely, regularly, and be sustained by it. And yet the only time I've ever actually learned to be sustained from it is when I've decided to be weak. When I've decided that I can't, uh, that I'm totally incapable I, 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 I'm incapable. I'm not able to. And it's in that glorious place, in my weakness, that He is strong. That His grace is completely sufficient for me. It is completely sufficient in all things. And I don't have to strive to do anything anymore. I don't have to keep a school afloat. I don't have to raise up numbers in the church that I'm pastoring. I don't have to get more missionaries sent out through an organization. Like, I don't have to do any of that stuff. I get to just be, and He'll take care of it. And if he wants a season where the fruit aren't growing, well, you know what? That's cool. Nice. And if he wants a season where there's multiple fruit, well, good. Awesome. I'm just going to stay weak. And, if, and, you know, I'll tell you, several times since I've stepped in, into ministry, just serving the kingdom or whatever, whatever you want to call it, everything has been stripped away from me. I was sharing this story about how I was ready to apply to be working at a McDonald's in South Dakota because I was like, get me away from everyone and I'm done with all of this. It's a really great, funny story. But I was dying. I was dead to everything. Everything was getting stripped away from me and it's happened multiple times where everything dies. Everything's at its end and I have have had to say, Lord, okay, (laughs) I don't like, I'm going off this way. And yet each time he... When I, you experience that death, when you experience that place of full, absolute surrender, it's all of a sudden his breath of life comes. And it stirs something up inside of you. And I'll tell this last thing, because I could go on forever too. Um, I was in Brazil on that trip. Got back to the Spirit at the same time. And this man, uh, Rusty, was there. And he was, um, he was, he was a prophet, he was an amazing prophetic man. And he came and he prophesied over me. I was like 12, 13 years old. And he goes, you are going to start a school. And it's going to look different than anything anyone's ever seen. And I was like, oh, sweet. And so I have notebooks, like tons of notebooks, filled with how I would do a school. They're hysterical. If you ever want something to laugh at, read them. It's like, find a person who's demon-possessed, see which student can cast it out. They get an A. Like, <laughs> like that was, that, those are my things. I was like, this is, you know, whoever manifests us, bonus points, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> I had all these ideas, and, but the Lord said specifically, it's not going to look like, like anything else. And I would write these whole, it's going to be a spiritual boot camp. And someone would come to church that Sunday and be like, I have a spiritual boot camp out in Iowa. I'm like, cross that off. That's not what it is, because it's got to be different. And it was in this whole time that, this, that I wrote all these things. I was prepared for all these things, and I was chasing after what this might look like. And all of a sudden, I was faced with the reality that I have nothing, and, and it will not come out of my life. And I, I just said, you know, I'm going to serve serve ministries or whatever, and I, I found myself up in Canada and with, uh, with an unreached people group trying to help a house of prayer, and it was in that house of prayer that I was dying to all these things and realizing that it, that it was all over. And it, I was giving up the ministry I had started in New Hampshire. I was giving up all these other things, and I had a plan, and actually an application filled out to work at McDonald's in South Dakota because there's, there's a McDonald's there that's further away from any other McDonald's in the world. So I said, that's the one, and I get a discount. 
You know, that's it. Get me away from everyone. I'm changing my name, and I'm not telling anyone in my family. This is serious. I was like, done. I said, Lord doesn't trust me with things. I'm done. It's all dead. It's all dead. And it, it was in this, Hudson, will you come and stay another year and help us? No. <laughs> no. I'm done. I'm dead. All of this is, is out the window. The Lord doesn't trust me with these things. I don't, I'm, I, 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 I'm depressed. No, sorry, can't do it. And he said, well, can you write out a little curriculum for us? A curriculum? I can do that. I've got tons of it. And so I wrote out this long curriculum. This is, this is how I would do a school. This is what it would look like. And I sent it to them. I said, there you go. Have a nice day. And they wrote back and they said, that's a lot more than what we were expecting. Why don't you start a school for us? And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. I just, did, did something just blow on me? Like, did something just pop out of the, the, the soil of the garden in my heart? Like, what in the world was that? No, it can't be. I'm done. That's over. That's finished. I'm finished. I'm tired. I'm 23, 24, however old I am, 25. When I'm done. I'm try, tired of doing all this stuff. And, um, and, they're, and they're like, listen, let's talk. And I, and I actually had two professors that were part of the House of Prayer come to me and say, we, want, we think you should start. We think you should start a school. I said, you know what? It's going to fail, so I might as well do it. That way at least I can say, I, you know, check that off my list, and it's done. And oh, it's over with, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, sure, I'll do it. We start the school. There's like one person that came. The first day is Gabby from Brazil. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, one student. This is going to be fun. Well, a week later, somebody else came. And then like the next week, there was three. And I had three full-time students. I was like, all right, this is, okay, I guess we're going to do this. I guess I can't cancel it. Well, by the end of the first semester, there's 15 students. And I was like, okay, okay, this is interesting. Uh, by the end of the first year, there's 22 that graduated. And they, they caught up, they, they, they continued it all. And I was like, oh, oh, amazing, wow, you know what, I might be really good at this school thing. I might be really good at this, wrong thing to think. Well... The second year begins, and we start with 22 students. And I'm like, wow, this is really, this is really amazing. God's really doing some great stuff. Uh, look at us grow. We're getting into the second semester. There's even more growth. Wow. And then I go on a mission trip to Brazil again. And while I'm in Brazil, one, I get really sick, uh, really sick. The Lord starts speaking to me. He, basically, the Lord put me in, like, put me in a state of not being able to move so he could speak to me. And uh, while that was happening, the house of prayer I was working for was going under a lot of adjustments because of some things that were going on. And when I got back, they had shut down the house of prayer and they shut down the school without me even knowing. And I went back and I was like, what in the world? My baby, the thing the Lord promised, was it just a year? I had just grown attached to this thing. Come on. And it's gone. And I said, well, you know, through all of it, I said, I'm, Lord, as long as you provide for me, I'll stay in Canada. But the minute you don't, the minute I'm gone. Because I, I just can't do this. Well, I continued, and I said, I'm going to have classes over here. That's, people started showing up. It began to grow, continued to grow. Um, and uh, in this moment, I, again, I lost everything now, t- now two times, you know, for this one dream. I'd lost it all. It all had died. It all was gone. And I said, well, here I am just waiting. And it was in this moment that all of a sudden, the Lord again, seeing my death, breathed life again, breathed life on it, and all of a sudden people started showing up, and all of a sudden you get the Pentecostal handshake, that's got like a $20 bill, you know, like, bless you, brother, you know, and my, my needs are being taken care of. 
And uh, in the middle of that summer, the church that I've been attending said, hey, would you be the interim pastor for us? Uh, we'll provide for you, and, and uh, you can keep doing your school thing. Well, the school, we, we did that. The school, we ended this last year with like 50 students, which was crazy. Uh, and uh, we ended with 50 students, and this, this, this church was like, hey, would you be the pastor? Now, I'm telling you, I learned a lesson. I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't do anything. You realize I have nothing. There's nothing on my resume. I don't have anything. So if you have me, I'm not going to be the, the, the image of the great pastor that you want. I'm going to be Hudson. <laughs> Hudson Taylor Wells from New Hampshire. That's what you're getting. And if you want it, I'll do it. But I, I'm letting you know. And they said, absolutely. And in all this, we've just seen the Lord do incredible, incredible things. It's in this place that the Lord has had to teach me. The Lord has had to bring me to a place of learning to uh, die, learning to be completely surrendered, learning. And I'm not perfect. I'm not totally dead. But, you know, like in all the things, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to die. I die daily. Come on. And yet, it was the Lord who had to put me in his pocket and smother me there for a season. And so I had to learn it. I had to learn to drink from him. And I still had to learn not to, uh, not to, Get people to, you know, not to take the weight off of other people that I had to learn. Be weak. Be weak. Learn to drink from Him. The fruit grows because it's abiding. The fruit grows because it's abiding, not because it's doing anything special or not because it's an anointed branch. It's connected to the anointed one. Oh. Come on. It's not because it's a special thing. It's just because it has the life giver in it. Pouring life into it. It knows exactly how to pour, exactly how to speak. He knows how to do every single thing. And I get to be the coolest cheerleader on the sidelines. Woo! You can make it! It's going to be okay. And I want to be nothing more than that. I just want to be... I just want to be a branch. I just want to be weak. I just want to abide. I want to drink deep. I want to drink deep. Teach us to drink deep. That is the, the word Wesley brought. This, everything I just shared is just to recommunicate what she's saying. Because that was the word for tonight. That was the thing. My thing is, teach. We need you. We need you to be vulnerable and real. And we need you to teach us that it's okay to be weak. It's okay to be content with nothing, and it's okay to be content with a lot. It's okay to just be in his presence and drinking from him and receiving from him and laughing with him and crying with him, and he's good in it all. Come on. Come on, we need it more. There's too many that look too strong, and you know what? The minute that pious, that pious minister who stands up at the front stands and, and, and looks a certain way is the minute I go, I don't think I'll ever obtain that vision of piety that I think they're living. You know what's most like the past 1,800 years of the church? That pious man wasn't living that pious life anyway. He was a broken man in need as well, and yet he felt like he had to have some mask on and show something. And so I'm failing because... I don't think I'm ever going to measure up to somebody who's not even measuring up to himself. I need to be in a place, and we need to be a place to be completely vulnerable. Piety, this form of superiority, kills the church. It absolutely, there's an author, Gene Edwards, and he, um, yeah, so 
Uh, yeah, Title Three King. So I've been I, I I wrote him one time, and we've been in communication, and I do some writing stuff for him. But um, he when I first met him, we we were sitting around a, a group, and he said he's like, there's three things, I, and I only remember two. I probably shouldn't figure out what the third one is. He said there's three things that, that you need to do as, if you want to actually help the church. Stop the piety act. Stop pretending like you're you like you've got it all together. Stop looking like you you've got it all figured out. You know what? We don't. Stop. Be vulnerable because people need vulnerable people. I need to know that the minister up front has broken places and, is, and has learned to, to communicate with the Lord in brokenness and in weakness. I need to know that. The second was always have a joke in your back pocket. Be able to laugh. Be able to laugh. Stop this act that like it's that everything's just serious. No, you know, you know what? He knows the end of the story. <laughs> He's got it all written out too and you can read it. He's got it figured out. You can laugh. You can chuckle. It's going to be taken care of, and it's going to be good. He sees it all. He's the beginning and the end. If you call him the beginning, he's the end. If you call him the end, he's the beginning. He's the alpha and omega. He's both at the same time. He touches the, the, the span of all of history within his hand, and he doesn't have to travel back and forth between it. He doesn't have to go to the beginning or go to the end. He's at both. He sees it all. He created the timeline. Is like, you know, there it is. All of humanity in this one timeline. He's not worried. He's not concerned. He's got it figured out. Now we need to learn to be weak, broken, and able to communicate that so that we can find the strength in Christ. That's all I have to say. Jesus, we repent. We repent for taking your glory. We repent for taking your place. For taking honor that was due your name alone. For taking the attention that was due you. right now where you between Jesus, you and Jesus, in your secret place with him, begin to lay down and repent those places that he's bringing to mind that are in your heart. Lay them down before him. Give him the honor. Give him the glory. Give him the praise. We want to end tonight by fixing our eyes on Jesus again.
with our Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, Amen. Father, our hearts are tender. Father, I ask that you give us the ability to walk this out tonight. This is dear to your heart that we we have an attentive spirit, soul, body, our being attentive to this generation. Father, we, as you said, Hudson, few of us have the example to look to. You've taught us what we know now, and we see that we're lacking. But Father, there's no lacking in you. And you hear, the Father always hears the voice of a child. And Father, we as fathers and mothers of the faith, we hear your voice through your children, through this generation. We ask, we desire to respond, but we need you to strengthen us in our time of decision tonight. As Jesus, Jesus is in the garden, he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Let it be possible if this cup pass from me. And as he chose to make that decision, you sent ministering angels to strengthen him to walk it out. Father, we need ministering angels as fathers and mothers of this house, of the faith and the body of Christ and the earth today to live this out, to walk this out, to be the expression of a true godly father and mother that is quick to listen and purpose not to speak other than what you would have us say. So, Father, that this generation and, Father, their next generation. And, that Father, that as this feast time was purposed, you asked your people to keep this time so your children and your children's children and your children's children's children would know who you are. That's what this is all about. That these feast times or purpose that the generations would know you, that there wouldn't have to be a mediator, that man would come face to face, no burning bush, no bishop, no pope, no pastor, face to face with you. Father, we need you to empower us to walk this word out. And I know you've been faithful and I know you will continue to be faithful that you would not speak something that you would not fulfill and complete. And those that have a contrite, a sincere and contrite heart to respond.
Father, as we recognize and we know this abiding presence, this you're abiding over this time. You're jealous over this season of these eight days. You're jealous over this generation. You're jealous over this family that we'd get it right. You sent your son so we would get this right. You sent your son so we would know how to be a family. We know how to be a father and a mother, a son and a daughter. So, Father, I thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for every person that's here in this house tonight, every person that hears this word in the realm of the Spirit. I thank you, Father, that this word will be that which goes out beyond these walls. It goes from the highways and the byways and the streets and the nations. But, Father, it would resound in heaven. And those, Father, that would then draw down from heaven the very rhema word that would be coming in this time and this season, and it would be activated and it would be released in the every heart of the mothers and the fathers in the faith and would give them an opportunity to choose and say, Yes, Lord. Father, I ask that you would record, rehearse. Let us hear the heart cry of these young people tonight. They said, this is what we need. Lord, there's power in this word. There's life in this word. There's rhema in this word. And Father, repentance doesn't mean that we put on the grave clothes. Repentance means that we turn away and we run after that which You have spoken because it's available for us to walk in. That we can embrace these young people. Father, we can embrace those that are walking the streets, the addictions, the hopelessness, the lawlessness. But Father, oh my goodness gracious, the suicides, the suicides that are transpiring of the young people that don't know you, but it's the same cry. I want to be understood. I want to have value. I want to have a reason to live. So, Lord, I thank you because we could have been somewhere else tonight doing something which we thought was more important tonight and not hear your heart. So I thank you that you have granted us the mercy and the grace to have ears to hear, to have the eyes to see these young people crying out to you. The petition really is spoken to us, but it's before you, Father, and you will not deny these young people of true mothers and fathers. It will stand and walk it through with them. You're the answer, Lord. We're not the answer. 
We're that which is to partner with them and say, God, we need you because you are the answer. You're the empowerment of your word. You're the fullness of the true father and the heart of a mother who broods over her children. So just look at somebody and say, in God, we can do this. Come on, just look at somebody and tell them, in God, we can do this. He's going to empower us to do this because we desire to see this fulfilled for our own children and the children that have been placed in our lives. Walmart, anywhere where it may be. It's all about Him. Amen. Oh, how refreshing that is. Thank you, Hudson. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, forever be looking in my pocket. Is anybody in there? Uh oh, here we go, here we go, Hudson. You're gonna have to not worry about provision after that, dude. You're gonna, yeah, it's gonna be. Amen. Isn't it, isn't it so awesome? Oh, look at there. Look at there. I love that. Pocket people. Yeah. Awesome. Was it in August, maybe? Um, we... We had. I, I just want to make sure that everybody leaves here and doesn't dismiss, because we're always trying to be strong. I had somebody tell me tonight that they've been going through something, they've been doing something. I've kind of been tuned into it. Others want to be helpers, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I understand this word because a prophet came in here just a few weeks before the feast, just before the feast days happen. And we know him. We haven't had him here for a while. And he goes, this is the word that God... We don't hear this. We don't hear this word in the church. In his weakness... And we, we, he, we, he ministered on that, and it was just a download from heaven. And we knew that this was a forerunning announcement of things that would be coming in this season. And for those that don't know it, some of us have been walking in it and, and some just sporadically wherever, but it's not really a word people want to hear because we're always here to tell you to be strong in the Lord. You know, be strong, toughen up, you know, do it all. But there's, when you surrender to that, when you decide, I am nothing, I don't have to be something. When I am nothing, he is made strong. He's the one that's shining. He's the hero. You know, it's so so awesome. And I think that God, even as much as we think we know about that, he's going to expand that in your life. He, he's speaking it. So there's more to learn. There's always more to learn in God. So please embrace this word and quit trying to do that and be the one and 
be the leader and, you know, all that stuff that comes with that. So thank you. And I love, um, I just love everything that you shared with us tonight, sister. Sister. Um, We've been blessed. We have been blessed and we've received it. And it's good to hear uh, one of our mandates is always been bridging the generations. Um, We've heard so much about pass the baton, but I don't believe in that. I mean, I I, I believe in sharing, but, but I believe we're all to go together because, you know, it's just the way it really is. It's the whole generation within all the generations that go, and we keep going together. We can't dismiss the other ones or say that the, the youth are incredible or the babes. So so thank you. We heard from you. Thank you, Lonnie, for sharing that. And then tell us what's happening tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow? No. Tomorrow is Saturday, <laughs> I think. <laughs> there, I'll take it Saturday. There's no workshops tomorrow. But we, for those of you who want to, only if you want to, um, we're going to meet around here around 10.30. And some of you are from out of town and you've been, never been up here and you came to see the leaves, but of which we don't have many. We could probably find five trees that have some really good color. So take it from different angles and tell them how awesome it is and get them up here next year. I'm sorry, it's early. Next year the feast is going to be later in prime time of when God paints, right, guys? You guys that live here, he paints every night. You get up and it's a whole new color scene. Uh, I call it, We call it the Fruit Loop Bowl because you got all the colors. You know, Let's go see the Fruit Loops. But um, tomorrow we're going to go out and do a little sightseeing. So if if you want to hang out with us, we're, we're going to just do some Vermont stuff and a little sightseeing around here, spend a few hours, have lunch out, We'll tell you the itinerary when you get here around 10.30 for those who want to go. Uh, so that's one thing on the agenda. And then tomorrow night there's no family dinner at the church, but it's 7 o'clock. And it's, I'm sorry to say that there's only two more days. It's gone by so fast. It's gone by so fast. So um, And tomorrow night we have ministry and the words. It's going to be rich. And then we have Sunday morning and Sunday night. 